After the shakeup of 2020, the dust is slowly starting to settle, and organizations all over the world are taking stock. There are those who've thrived in the face of adversity, and those who've had to make some extremely difficult decisions. But one thing's for certain, we've all been on a digital transformation journey. Digital transformation has been the most overused buzzword in the technology industry for the last four years. And yet, it's all we can talk about because our tech and business strategies have been through quite an evolution. It was a do or die moment. Just imagine if you couldn't ring up your telco provider or you couldn't get through to your bank. If organizations hadn't pivoted as quickly, would they still exist? In today's episode, we look at what the tech happened to digital transformation initiatives during the pandemic. We talk about what happened when organizations had to throw out the rule book why digital experience is top of mind for consumers and employees, and why the role of IT professionals might have changed forever. All that and much more, I'm Michael Bird, and this is Technology Untangled. Digital transformation is the conscious integration of digital technology into all areas of a business. And buzzwords aside, most organizations have been talking about it for ages. We've got digital transformation strategies and chief digital officers coming out of our ears. But the stats say that 70% of all digital transformation initiatives fail. To find out why, I called up Dave Strong, UKI MISA pre-sales director for HPE. There are three areas that really cause this to happen. One is around complexity. Too many organizations take on too much. They try to bring together far too many digital technologies to try and deliver a business outcome, and they end up failing. Then there's the culture piece. And the whole point around the digital ambition is to do it quickly, is to take a business problem, translate a business problem, and execute it with technology that can really make a difference to that organization. Two, three, four-year programs, they're too long. You've missed the boat. You know, If you're trying to compete against Monzo as a retail bank and you've taken three, four years to get to where they were three years ago, you kind of lost your business. So you know, that culture piece of being able to deliver things in bite-sized incremental chunks as an organization is very alien to established businesses. You look at some banks that have been around for two, 300 years, right? Imagine their trading history and the processes that they've built up over that time. It's very cumbersome. And therefore, the IT has been cumbersome. The IT processes have been cumbersome. So it has really made it extremely difficult. And then the, the final bit is fatigue. And it goes right back to taking too long to do things, but you're reliant on a very small skills pool around digital. We know that. It's recognized at a UK level that digital skills are in great demand, but there's not enough of them. And you're focusing all of that delivery and change on a very small pool of people. They're overwhelmed, overworked, and and therefore they're hitting fatigue. And that's why you see that stat, 70% fail. So, taking on too much not breaking things down into bite-sized pieces, not being agile, and then not having enough skilled people to enact. Those all sound like pretty big hurdles. And yet, over the past year, organisations have been forced to take on mammoth tasks, work incredibly quickly, and continuously roll out changes. And they've done it. So 
What effect has COVID had on that digital transformation stat? Well, let's kick it back to early 2020. It was that race to get your organization home. And it was almost overnight businesses made that decision, safety of the workforce, let's get that workforce working from home. And having that reliable technology to underpin that was essential. You know, if I look at the decade in, in technology and how we've changed in the way we're able to work, better broadband, better wireless, better communication tools within the organizations now, I think that bedrock is video, isn't it? And that, that is the foundation technology that makes remote working what it is. And I think if we, you know, we look at HPE as an example of that, you know, we've made inroads into Microsoft Teams, we've been using Skype. And I think people have been using that around the periphery as well. But all of a sudden that became the foundation bedrock of companies <laughs> work from home policy. And then came Zoom. It would be impossible to talk about digital transformation and COVID without mentioning Zoom. Most of us hadn't heard of it before the pandemic. But in February 2020, Zoom gained more users than it amassed in the whole of 2019. Of course, video conferencing has been around for years, but all of that social distance had us longing for more than just a phone call. Before the pandemic, did I use video? I don't think I did. We were inundated in conference calls and, you know, the running joke, Friday was conference call Friday, but it was always audio. So to be able to suddenly switch to a new video means, a new platform overnight, security, the implementation, the performance, I, I think has been remarkable. Were there any other technologies in particular that organizations had to kind of implement in a really short space of time? I think the one that springs to mind is virtual desktop. Now, virtual desktops have been around for years, right? We've had them for decades. You know, contact centers have used them to, to allow contact center high churn staff to have access to their desktop environments. But I think what I've seen is banks. Banks have really embraced the virtual desktop experience, allowing traders to work from home. Who would think about that? You know, the, such a critical part of a banking infrastructure is to be able to, seconds matter, milliseconds matter, don't they? And being able to get traders working from home, being able to get entire contact centers working from home and using virtual desktop, I think has been phenomenal because this is tough. This is difficult to do as well. And to, to have the performance as well, because customer experience is everything. When you've got someone, an angry customer at the end of the phone and you're looking at their case records, have they rung before? What's the issue? Have we, you know, have we dealt with it in the, in the best way possible? All of that is down to performance and you've got to be able to do that quickly. And it's amazing how many organizations have been able to do that. It's weird, right? The stats say that the majority of digital transformation projects are doomed to fail. And yet, overnight, organisations were able to set up remote workers at the drop of a hat. To understand how it happened, I wanted to speak to someone who had advised organisations through this turbulent year. I'm uh, Dan Brimmer, and I work at Tequila Automation, and I'm the head of global advisory services for them. We'll get to Tequila Automation a little later on. But at the start of 2020, Dan was in the unenviable position of having started a new business in a pandemic, L3O Consulting. And there is a method in that name, I'll come back to that. <laughs> oh, no, well, tell me that, what's the method in the name? So it was really around what we wanted to do for our customers was around helping them launch a program, expand a program, and operate a program. So it was launch, expand, 
operate and then the three was turned the other way to try and be a bit clever i like it no i like it like, like the tesla model three <laughs> yeah sort of simple l3o was focused on helping organizations deliver digital change now safe to say starting a business in a pandemic wouldn't be on the top of my wish list although setting up remote workers does seem like exactly the sort of thing you'd want to get an experienced consultancy team in on Interestingly, one of the big things that we'd anticipated and we saw as an opportunity, I think, that didn't materialise was around business continuity work in pandemic. So we expected a lot of companies to come to us to ask us how to do things like remote working or running the business and expanding the business through the continuity. And actually, I think most of our experience was either companies just got on and did it and made it happen or they mothballed big parts of the business. I think people in general are very, very good in in face of adversity and disaster. You get on and find out a way of doing it. So what kinds of projects were your clients coming to you with last year? There was the business change events, which weren't necessarily linked to the pandemic, but did accelerate some of the need to upgrade some of the operational infrastructure, uh, especially around IT, which is a lot of the background that I've got. Two of the biggest things, one was around the integration that I've talked about, and we've, we've been dealing with customers that have been on a fast growth trajectory for a long time. And the event there is, you know, they've been on such a fast growth that a lot of their IT processes and the way that they do things and, and the way that they, they manage things just weren't in place. So uh, came to us looking for advice on on how to make that more resilient, whether it's around things like ITIL and ITSM or operational leadership and the people that they have in the organisation looking at skills gaps, perhaps, that they had. So, um, And also uh, sales transformation. And this was really dealing with technology companies that are used to selling technology and are going on the change and the understanding of how they can focus more on their customer's business outcome as opposed to selling the technical features and advantages of, the, of, of their technology. So with regards to organisations having to pivot and adapt, do you think larger organisations found it more difficult compared to, say, smaller organisations? I don't think they did. In my experience, I don't think it was about large or small. The biggest thing I saw was around tech savvy or not tech savvy. It's not just around uh, working remotely. Everything that goes around working remotely, what is the employee experience and the customer experience to go with that? Those companies that thought about those things first did really, really well. And that was from the really large to the really small. The ones that I did see struggle were the ones that weren't necessarily tech savvy. I'm just going to latch on this phrase tech savvy that you used. You know, what what characteristics do you think an organisation would have to show to be classified as, as tech savvy? It's really the adoption of technology and knowing that it works across a business. So this isn't just about applying technology, but how integrated is it into everything that you do and what is ultimately the experience of your customers? What is their satisfaction? And that's something that you know a lot of companies have spent a lot of time focused on over many, many years. So, so if that experience is good online and remains online, given where we've been with the pandemic, most things have happened online, that's great. I think the other element is around the employee element of that and the employee experience in the same way. And I think the things that have manifested with companies that have thought about their employees and their experience of working remotely and working online, that's really where it's good. They put as much value on the employee experience almost as a customer experience. And, And then the ones that have struggled haven't necessarily thought about the employee first. It's And it's really, although I say tech savvy, it's not tech for tech's sake. 
It's not about providing a really funky laptop that just happens to have all of this stuff that's all around the side. It's about how it works and how it allows an individual to get on with their day job. And we'll hear more from Dan a little later. Anyway, digital transformation projects are about more than just bringing in a bunch of new tech. According to HPE's Dave Strong, success in 2020 was all about flexible business models. What the pandemic has done as well is forced people to look at their operating models and cost basis as well. They've had to, you know, I think because, you know, it's affected everyone financially in a big way. We look at retailers not being able to sell things. We look at organisations that have not been able to manufacture things. It it has hit people. And I think that therefore they are certainly looking for digital transformation now to be able to recoup some of their losses or to make their operating models smarter and obviously their cost base is lower. So which industries or organisations do you think didn't fare well? I think those that struggled, and I don't think this is around technology, I don't think it's around the ability to pivot to remote working per se. I think it's those that were very much indoctrinated in bricks and mortar. If you look at high street brands that have to open shops, yes, you can do some things in in, in enabling technology for remote working, but when your business is based on getting people through the door to buy your, your goods, you have no option and I think you know we've seen many high street brands that have that have really suffered over the last 12 months and I don't think any sort of digital transformation or any acceleration to technology could probably have helped them I think it's it was the way the business models were set up and do you know what that goes to the heart of digital transformation for me as well if you look at it it's about changing your, your, your business operating model it's about divesting it's about disrupting it's not about the technology it's about how you disrupt your end, end business and that shows in some of those organizations that have unfortunately failed they haven't disrupted their business models they haven't thought about how they could provide a different experience and have unfortunately yeah, they're not here anymore yes necessity is the mother of innovation And there's a ton of good examples of that from the pandemic, from the fashion houses and food companies that switched to supplying face masks and hand sanitizer, to the astonishing amount of services suddenly available via video and VR, from doctor's appointments and house viewings to wine tasting and yoga classes. For certain industries that rely on live events and sports, disrupting your business model and finding a way to keep engaging with customers was key, if not vital, for survival. To find out more, I called up Alex Haddo, head of IT for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Hi, my name is Alex Haddo. I'm responsible for the operational IT function within Tottenham Hotspur. Um, From the technical design authority of uh, systems architecture through the core practices of infrastructure management, networks, cybersecurity, audiovisual broadcast and telecommunications. And from that long list of responsibilities, it's pretty clear that the IT department have had a digital-first strategy for a long time. We recognised early on that digital transformation is absolutely critical to the to the entire business function. And um, our, our digital strategy has evolved and it now really covers the, the pillars of elite athlete and team performance, global fan engagement, our world-class uh, multi-purpose uh, venue, business and commercial development, and the digital uh, workplace framework. The approach really is always to deliver resilient, highly available, low latency, sustainable and secure environment. 
And you talked about this, um, the world-class stadium, the world-class facility, which opened, was inaugurated in April 2019. It sounds like it's pretty state-of-the-art. So can you tell us a little bit about what makes the stadium so exciting? Technology is, is basically integrated into the very fabric of the stadium. And from the outset, we were really determined to ensure that technology was treated as importantly as the other key utility services, water, electricity, etc. And I think we've managed to do that. We really designed our technology infrastructure to be flexible, flexible for the needs of any event that we have, whether it's a sporting event, a concert, a conference, esports event, or even an NHS relocation. They all have different setups and we can facilitate them all. The stadium has almost 30,000 fixed network points. Wow. Yeah, it's a huge amount, which practically equates to over 1,200 kilometers of copper and fiber. We have also over 1,600 wireless access points. Uh, we support um, approximately 10,000 devices on, on major event days. And on top of that, we have sensors to monitor the building. We've also deployed over 700 Bluetooth beacons to enable turn-by-turn wayfinding. And we've also deployed full cellular connectivity on our DAS with all the four major UK mobile operators are on board. And now we're in the process of delivering 5G. We've developed 100% cashless experience, so covering food and beverage, retail, program sales, ticketing. It means, essentially, you can turn up to our stadium with just a cell phone. I mean, there's one thing that somebody told me about, which is the beer fills from the bottom in the in the beer glasses. Is that true? That is right. That is right. We have our own um, microbrewery on site. Yeah, I mean, I realise all the other stuff is is awesome and incredibly technically advanced, but I'm sure lots of people go, "Can I see the beer filling up from the bottom?" It basically has a, like a little locking mechanism in the bottom of the glass. You'd be surprised how many people pick up their pint glass and, and press the bottom bit, and, and the beer comes out. So 2020 was, I guess, for the world of sports and the world of entertainment where people need to be there. And that's kind of a really important part of it. That must have been quite a challenge. We knew that things were going to change, but we we had no understanding of the extent of those changes. We didn't know if football would continue. We had other events planned to host at the stadium. So, for example, we, we, we were going to have two NFL matches. Um, we had concerts planned, conferences, rugby. Uh, so lots of other events that all, all of a sudden we just had this massive uncertainty. Some of those challenges were how are the staff going to continue to work? What tools do they need? How will they collaborate? You know, how, and how do we continue to provide security? And I think largely we were well positioned uh, to be able to scale out our existing technology stack to more staff. So it wasn't too much of a problem for us. I think there were some instances where we were in a, a pilot stage of a, of a tech project and we had to accelerate the delivery of that technology. That's kind of on the staff side. And I think on the elite athlete side, the questions you have to ask, how will they continue to train at the highest level? How will they practice? How will they strategize? And how will they rehab if, if injured? And how do you protect them from the virus? but still allow them to participate in an elite, at an elite level in a team sport and with all the support mechanisms that are needed to deliver that. The club went to the, the levels of sending out training equipment and we also set up video links 
uh, between the coaching staff and the players. And we ended up getting some good content for our fans on those training sessions as well, which was pretty cool. Fan engagement is obviously a hugely important part of the live sports industry, but with the UK in lockdown, Alex and the team had to think of ways to keep the experience alive. We really focused on our social media, live streaming and and, um, content creation aspects, trying to build audiences and making sure that our fans have um, a constant connection with us through our many channels. So we launched N17 Live which for us is the number one place for the pre-match build-up. That's available through our digital platforms, which are our Spurs official app, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And essentially, N17 Live provides fans with, a, with an exclusive live stream direct from the stadium. And it has team news as it breaks on, on game day. You know, it shows player warm-ups. So that was one of the areas. The second was we also launched our Twitch channel. And through... That channel, we deliver consistent programming of three streams a week. Could be anything from match day watch-alongs. They could be just chatting. They could be quizzes. They could be reruns of events. And it's presenter-led as well. So we have Rebecca and Matt, our presenters, who engage with the fans in the chat. And we actually find our audiences watch for hours, which is great. And and so we've nurtured now an ever-growing you know, highly engaged community that I think will continue to thrive. So although restrictions are lifting, it looks like it's going to be a while before sporting events return to full capacity. What are some of the challenges that you'll need to be tackling in the coming months? Personally, I don't believe that this is the end of pandemics. And for sporting organisations, I think it raises the question, will fan culture change because of the pandemic? And the challenge is, if so, we need to support and embrace that culture change and and, and any trends that adapt out of that. We have to think about, from a pandemic perspective, how we can safely have people within the stadiums and, and large public venues. We obviously have to follow the UK government roadmap and guidelines. You know, that's first and foremost. But I think we can continue to use our innovative digital assets really to ha- enhance that um, fan experience. Thank you, Alex. Beyond talking about how they deliver value to fans, it sounds like the cultural element has been key. Organisations need to be willing to experiment and even challenge some of those long-standing processes in favour of new ones that are still being defined. Now that we've been through this period of rapid change, have we done anything to cut down on the 70% failure rate of digital transformation initiatives? Get over that stat of failure. There are organisations citing out there that they have done two years of change in 10 months. Is it because they've had the time to do it? Or is it because they've looked at their business models and realised if we don't disrupt our business model now, if we don't change what we want to be as an organisation, if we don't want to change our customer experience then we don't exist? And I think it is as brutal as that. And if you look at the boards of many organisations they will be looking at technology to do that as well. And I don't think technology has ever been more important with chief executive officers as it is now. And I suppose where we were two years ago, whilst there was maybe appetite within the organisation, not everyone in the organisation was maybe bought into it, but the pandemic has been a bit of a, is a great leveller, isn't it? Everyone's experienced it. So the culture changes overnight. Everyone's having to work from home. So... Has it helped kind of push through digital transformation projects? 
I think it has. The overnight piece of people being in an office and working from home, because people accepted they had to do that, I think it suddenly took off some of the restrictions because people have opened their vision of what they can do. I also believe because of the amount of use cases that came out in the last year, you think about what supercomputers and artificial intelligence have done to help shape COVID vaccines and the research behind it. All of these were front page news things and it was always focusing on, on, on the technology that was enabling this. When people were seeing that, you know, we can create vaccines in, in, in little under a year, I think it suddenly said, well, actually, we can change our business. We can shape it in a different way. We can use artificial intelligence and automation to do that. We can drive a new customer experience in, in this way. So I think it has completely game changed the way and the perception of digital transformation. The objectives for digital transformation look different for everyone, but often it's around improving customer experience, reducing friction, increasing productivity or profitability. And for a lot of people, that means taking a closer look at AI and automation. At the end of 2020, Dan's consulting company L3O was snapped up by Tequila Automation, where he's now head of global advisory services. Tequila helps clients implement UiPath technology, which is basically desktop-level software used to automate repetitive digital tasks that would normally be performed by people. It has its heartland in the back office, whether it's HR, finance, supply chain, those type of things. That's where really where it's been born. But now more and more, I'm seeing applications for this technology being used in marketing, in sales, uh, in contact centers, as well. There, there are a lot of processes that are being done today that could be automated, but it's also enabling a lot of my customers to think about other things that they can do by automating some of these processes. Automating away the mundane tasks has been the long-term goal of implementing AI in the workplace, and there has been a boom in adoption over the past year. Five years, this has been a relevant technology and it's been fast growing up to the pandemic, I see different industries now really considering this technology. More traditional companies that would be either looking at people to do these type of processes, or they may have looked offshore to find lower cost areas for these processes. And now they're looking at using this technology, bringing it back onshore as an option to to accelerate what they do. Where we started, a lot of our the industries that we've dealt with are finance, insurance, utilities, FMCG, retail. We've seen now a lot more interest in companies like accounting firms and legal firms. Lots of processes there that are very he- heavily reliant on people. What, what I find really interesting is with these companies is they, they very much talk about business growth still. It's not about cost cutting. Of course, there is elements of, of cost cutting to some degree, but it talk more about the productivity gains that this gives their people. So how they can end up doing more with less people by implementing and using this technology. How big a part do you think automation will play in digital transformation in the future? As far as I have seen, most digital transformation programs have automation as a key tower in there. 
Uh, when you look at the roadmap of this technology as well, I find it very, very exciting, not least in terms of what it's producing, whether that's around uh, AI, things like document understanding, where it can do very clever things of picking up information from documents, things like process mining, where you can use the technology to understand a process. And, and then I think the other thing is how it integrates then with systems more and more and, and, and using APIs into other systems. I think a lot of people are aware of this te technology. It's come from a sort of screen scraping technology, as we call it, you know, picking up things on a screen and just literally replicating what a human being does. But now with the, the cleverness that it can do with interacting with the APIs into systems and making things even more smoother and slicker, it's a really important part of any digital transformation. We talked a little about employee experience and customer experience. And I suppose nowadays, everything's gone digital. Everything you can now order using your smartphone, you know, even the little farm shop down the road from me has some sort of app. So I guess the customers and employees today probably have a much higher expectation that things are going to be automated and instant and will work. I think you're absolutely right. I think to add to that, there's been a lot of focus on that customer experience. So your in initial interaction with a company over a website or an app. I think what automation really brings now and, and really enriches that is the expectation is more than just your initial experience. It's how you're being updated, when you know things are going to happen. It's all what time is it going to be delivered? You know, it, the overall end-to-end -end experience is becoming more and more important and and, and yeah. Automation makes that, you know, to a large degree, makes that happen. As we mentioned in episode four of this season, automation has the ability to change the world of work for the better. And HPE's Dave Strong agrees. Right now, our expectations of experience are sky high, whether we're consumers or employees. I think the customer experience piece has never become more important than what it is now. Customer experience from working at home was everything, wasn't it? It was, it was, can I log into my meeting? Can I be on video with 12 other people and it'd be a successful meeting? It was all around the experience. And at the center of delivering that experience has been IT professionals. So many of the changes over the past year simply wouldn't have happened without them. And Dave reckons that IT departments have seen a pretty radical shift in their role as well. It has really closed the gap between the IT and the business because the IT has absolutely had to understand the business because the business has been so impacted. And that's really refreshing. And I'm hoping we, we keep that balance now that we constantly, the first thing we're thinking about is how does this affect the business outcome I'm trying to achieve? How does this fix the business problem? Suddenly, all of those use cases, we talk around artificial intelligence, around data analytics and insight, around automation or whatever the emerging technology is out there, the edge, IoT, we're suddenly starting to see the businesses going, ah, like that, get it, see how that's going to make a difference. Technology go, ah, I know what the business is trying to do here now, I see what they're trying to achieve, coming together, and I think that's going to be exciting over the next two or three years. So the pandemic is hopefully tailing off, fingers crossed. <laughs> so, you know, most IT departments are probably now quite comfortable in this new world. What challenges are we going to see in the kind of the next 12 to 24 months? What is next is the acceleration of business transformation. Remote working was almost the showcase of what an IT department could do, right? And that's been given now. So I think 
those aspirations that are on paper, those retail banks are going to go, we will beat Monzo, we will do this. You know, all of those plans, you know, that they had there on paper, well, they're going to want to then done in the next 12 to 24 months. Organizations are going to absolutely want to be ahead of their competitors. And that's where the challenge is going to come to an IT department is, you know, at pace, how can you now change that business in 12 months? But I think that's really exciting because I think that's what IT departments are craving for now. They're craving to be part of real big transformational change and being able to do it quickly. No one likes to see a program take four years. You're seeing the value at the end of it. People want to see that value as you're going through it. So what long-term impact will 2020's digital transformations have on organizations? An overwhelmingly positive one, to my view, because it's kind of set in stone what is achievable. Digital transformation, it sounds like it's finite. We're going to transform digitally. Actually, what people have accepted now, digital transformation is the new business as usual. You could say, has it given us an opportunity as a society to accelerate some of our goals as well? I've reset some of the things that are important to me. And and I think a lot of people in society have reset their beliefs on what is important to them. And therefore, what will also be a massive positive to this is, When we do something, whether it's a business change that is embedded and underpinned by technology, are we doing it for the right reasons? Are we doing it because that improves our lives or changes our lives or do something massively positive for the society? Because it goes back to the tech for good piece as well. And I think we're starting to see a lot more conversations around tech for good based on what we've just been through. 2020 was almost like a crash course in delivering digital transformation. Organisations have shown what they're capable of, and as a result, consumers and employees are now going to be expecting a lot more. IT departments have been the backbone of that agility and resilience, and are now being considered fundamental parts of the business. And we're focusing on tech for good more than ever, which is pretty cool. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to be sending my email to auto-reply. I'm going to be zooming my mate Rob, and I'm going to be ordering some premium farm shop goods to be delivered tonight. What a world. You've been listening to Technology Untangled. I'm Michael Bird. And a huge thanks to today's guests, Dave Strong, Dan Broomham, and Alex Haddo. And you can find out more in the show notes. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Isabel Pollard with sound design and mixing by Alex Bennett and production support from Harry Morton, Alex Podmore, and Tom Clark. Technology Untangled is a Lower Street production for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.